tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, listen to that last ad. The voice in my head asked me how many, as a pastor, how many uh, Christmas children's Christmas concerts did you have to go to? And, oh, quite a few. But actually, I was, um, you know, I, I, I was, well, how's, what's the way to put it? I was not the, the sharpest quill on the porcupine when I was a little boy, and and my first grade teacher had a very hard time with me, Sister Mary Michael. And, um, but I had a hard time with her, too. Well, I was called in to see Sister Mary Michael. This is a you know, six-year-old kid. And I thought, oh, no, I'm in trouble again. And uh, there was the wo- a woman who was measuring people for costumes for the Christmas play. And... I was going to be in the Christmas play, and I was going to be the donkey. <laughs> it was, oh, gosh. It, I think it was sarcasm. We were talking to one of my classmates many years later, and she said, yeah, we all knew it was sarcasm. I got to be the donkey. Yeah, we do. I got to be the donkey at the Christmas play, and that was my first big break in show business. So, yes, Christmas concerts, children, and play. It's fun. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God cast into hell, Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Well, let's open the big book on the coffee table. The voice in my head is saying, hold on a minute. All right, there we go. Slow to the draw. Wasn't ready for the trick question. There you go. Well, all right. I'm really kind of grabbing at straws here in this first reading. Uh, But it's interesting. I think it's interesting. This is Isaiah, the 41st chapter. I am the Lord your God who grasped you by the right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I have heard that in the Bible there are 365 times that in one way or another, God says, be not afraid. I've tried to count them. I haven't been able to. But it's a nice theory. Um, So uh, that means that um, you can be afraid one day every, there's one for each day of the year, and you can be afraid uh, one day in leap year, I suppose. But you know, that's the subtext of the Bible, fear not. Now, now fear not, O worm Jacob, O maggot Israel. <laughs> that's 
Good grief. I mean, that's pretty, not very complimentary, but, you know, I remember when we changed the words from, um, uh, in, in the, uh, the song, uh, Amazing Grace, uh, a wretch like me to a soul like me, because we didn't want anybody to feel bad. Sometimes, well, that's what we are, worms and maggots that, you know, um, very, very rarely do we look ourselves squarely in, in the eye and uh, admit the evil of which we're capable. You know, it just is an amazing thing. I look at the situation in the world today, the, the wars that are going on, and these have always gone on. And we are capable of, of horrible things without grace. So, well, moving along from there. But what I really want to talk about is I will make of you a threshing sledge, sharp, new, double-edged. Now, I'm not quite sure about a double-edged threshing sledge, but let me tell you what a threshing sledge is. I actually saw one in use. I was driving through the mountains of Spain before the big expressways were finished. We took all the back roads we could. I was with the people I was with because soon it would be an expressway. And, uh, came to the top of a ridge and there on a flat expanse of rock, was a threshing sledge. This was like a big sled and it was being pulled around by oxen and they were crushing the grain. And we jammed on the brakes, jumped out of the car and started taking pictures. And the farmers were kind of alarmed by this saying, next year we're getting a machine to do this. And I don't think they understood that we thought this was fascinating. This was, this was something that has been done from time immemorial. What you do is you get this this big kind of sledge. Now, I don't know what a double-edged threshing sledge, threshing sledge is. And and you just you sit on it, and you got rocks on it, and the oxen are pulling around, and they're treading on the grain. And what you do is you crush the. I thank heaven that he kills all the germs, but uh, you're 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 trying to crush the grain so that the the chaff loosens. And then when you've got the chaff all loosened, what you do. It's got to be a high place, a flat rock surface on a high place because you need a prevailing wind. And what you do is you take a, a, a winnowing fan, which looks like one of those big uh, wooden paddles for pizza ovens. And what you do is you just take the you pile, all of the grain of the chaff in a big pile, and you just start throwing it up in the air with this big paddle. And the wind will soon take the lighter chaff and blow it away, and you're left with a much smaller pile of grain. And that's what you're going for. That's the process of threshing grain. Uh, you thresh it, you winnow it. This, this process of separating is winnowing. Now, this is kind of interesting. I, 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 I don't know that these two are related, but... To me, this is one of the fast, most fascinating things uh, in the Bible that no one notices. The Holy of Holies in Jerusalem was built on the threshing floor of Arauna the Jebusite. David had once again fallen afoul of the Lord, and um, he kind of tried to wheedle out of his just punishment. But finally he said, why are you punishing the people? It's my sin. He owned up to his sin, which is what made him a man after God's own heart, I suspect. And he had a vision of an angel standing on this high point in Jerusalem, just north of the, of the old city of David. And 
the angel is standing on this rocky outcrop, which is now called the foundation stone, the Ebn Shatia. And, and David went and bought this from Arauna. Arauna said, no, he was, he was not a Jew. He was a Jebusite. He was one of the Canaanites who had not been eliminated. And, uh, uh, David, uh, he said, oh, no, your majesty, I'll give you the threshing floor. And David said very beautifully, I will not offer to the Lord something that cost me nothing. So he, uh, he, he acquired this threshing floor. And on it, he built the temple, the Holy of Holies, apparently sitting squarely on the threshing floor of Arauna. Now, that big rock that was used to thresh grain is now in the dome of the rock. It's the rock of which the dome is the dome. And uh, it's interesting, right in the in the center of it, you can see w- where areas have been flattened out as footings for the uh, the building. But right in the center of that area is a an indentation, a flattened indentation, that is exactly the dimensions the Bible say the ark was. This was the holy of holies. It was the place of the uh, of of the ark's rest, and uh, the the the. Temple itself, the Holy of Holies, was plated in gold, and but the floor was just the bare rock of the threshing floor of around of the Jebusite. Now, why am I making a big deal out of this? The center of Israelite worship in the temple was a place where grain was crushed to prepare it to be bread. Is this ringing any bells for you? I mean, the center of our worship is bread, which has become the body and blood of Christ by a miracle of the Holy Spirit. I think this is fascinating, this idea of the threshing floor, the center of worship, is a place where where grain is crushed. And we look at this, and you know, the reading today talks about affliction and, and the difficulties, and God's going to make these good. In order to become bread, wheat has to be crushed. You know, St. John the Baptist said, uh, um, that the uh, uh, the Messiah is here, and he will uh, baptize you with the Holy Spirit with fire. And I, I, you know, I don't want to go into it extensively. This idea of baptism in the Holy Spirit—it is not a sacrament, uh, but it is to be immersed in the in the divine presence, to be immersed in the third person of the Trinity. And people say, "Oh, it's wonderful." Well, it might be a wonderful experience, but look at the the text. This is going to, when you read St. John the Baptist talking about this, it involves crushing and separating, separating of the, of the husk from the grain, uh, and it involves burning. You know, there's that old Pentecostal song, uh, Spirit of the Living God, fall afresh on me, melt me, mold me, fill me. Melt? Mold? I don't want to be melted or molded. I just want to have a nice, fun experience and feel good all over. No, no, no. That that this idea of the affliction that we experience, which forms us into what God wants us to be. Uh, so the, I, I think it's a beautiful, beautiful, uh, uh, I guess, relationship. Or, or, or not. But I'm trying. I'm, I'm looking for a word. There's a beautiful sort of uh, symbolism. That that the threshing floor of Arauna was the place where God chose to dwell, and the threshing floor is where grain is crushed and separated, and the chaff is burned. So it is that when you are o- overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, you're crushed, you are separated from things that are not necessary, 
and the fire of the Holy Spirit burns up what isn't necessary. So this is I think this is an amazing thing and that the center of our worship is what the world thinks is a piece of bread and the center of Israel's worship was a place where bread was prepared. Okay, I, I beat that into the ground, but I think it's fascinating. Let's look at the gospel, because this gospel upsets us Catholics. Matthew, the 11th chapter, the 11th verse. And be forewarned, I am going to talk about the kingdom of God. I'm sorry. Matthew eleven eleven and following, Jesus said to the crowds, I mean, I say to you, among those born of women, there has been none greater than John the Baptist, yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. All right, I'm reading this. And, of course, everybody knows that, that anybody in heaven is greater than just. No, I, again, I forgive me, but I'm going to grind my axe on this again. The word kingdom is basileia, which does not mean a political system or a geographical territory. It means a quality of the king. It is royalness. And heaven refers to God. In the Gospel of Matthew, normally when you see the word heaven, that same passage in, for instance, the Gospel of Luke, you will see God. Luke calls it the kingdom of God. He was a Greek. Jews are very careful in using even the word God. Uh, they would prefer to have a, a, a circumlocution, uh, which means a way to talk around it. They'll talk about the kingdom of heaven or the name or that sort of thing. So... Translate it my way, and it makes a lot more sense. Yet the least in the, in the nature of God is greater than John the Baptist. The reason that Catholics get upset about this is because we say, well, the Bible says that there's none born of woman greater than John the Baptist, but the least in God's royal nature. In other words, we don't have to wait to heaven when we die. The kingdom of God, Jesus says clearly elsewhere, the kingdom of God is, is among you or within you. Either, translate it either way. That the kingdom of God is not a, a is not a distant reality to happen one day. It's a present kingdom. It's a present recognition of God's royal nature, and so our blessed mother, if we're right, and I think we are about the immaculate conception, from the moment of her conception, she possessed God's royal nature. She wasn't divine. I'm not saying that. She possessed God's royal nature. And and as a preparation for the birth of her son, as a preparation for the, the, the flowering of the church. So that's the idea. Now let's so so if 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 the kingdom of heaven refers to something that's going to happen later, then our blessed mother was, in this world at least, was less than John the Baptist. The Bible says it. But that's not what the Bible says. The, the 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 one who who possesses this royal nature, even the least of them, is greater than John the Baptist. That means I'm greater than John the Baptist. What? Yeah, I'm not the stuff of which martyrs are made. Trust me. I in what sense can I be greater than John the Baptist? Well, I know something that John never knew. I know the cross. I understand God's royal nature in a way that John the Baptist never could. He had not seen the cross where God's perfect love was manifested most fully in the death of Christ. So let's move on. i got to look at the time. Oh, i got another minute. Good. Uh, the, the, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. In other words, heaven is being taken by force. No, God's royal nature 
suffers violence. In other words, the violent are are the it, it, the word is uh, the word is is really means forceful. I'll I'll try to look it up in the break. It's, uh, it's something like Biaus. But the 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 kingdom of heaven suffers from force, and the forceful are taking it. In other words, the 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 Jerusalem temple said, "We've got God's presence here. We can go in. You know, you don't don't do this at home. Pay, pray, and obey." But what's happening is that John the Baptist announced that 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 God's Holy Spirit was not just resident in the temple, but that if you long for it, if you really, oh, good grief. Let me tell a story. It's told of John the Evangelist, John the Baptist, or John the, the, the beloved disciple. Uh, again, I don't know if it's true. I wasn't there, but it's a great story. John, the beloved disciple, was thought of as a great philosophical teacher. And he was walking along the shore in western Turkey one day with his disciples. And a Roman soldier came up and said, I want to find God. And John looked at him and said, come with me. And he walked out into the water. And this Roman soldier thought he was going to get baptized. He said, kneel down. And then John, who was pretty strong for an old guy, we hear a few stories of great energy and old age about John the Baptist, or John the, the apostle. Well, he said, kneel down. And he he grabbed this guy's head and held him underwater. And this guy couldn't get up, and he's starting to struggle, and he's he's starting to lose it. And finally, when he was starting to give up, John let him up, and he went, what are you doing, you crazy old man? You're going to drown me. He said, when you want to find God like you wanted that next breath of air, trust me, you'll find God. From the days of John the Baptist until now, God's royal nature is being taken by those who are who really want it. And those who are, are forceful are taking it by force. So I, I think that's 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 what this means. It isn't there's an assault on the kingdom of heaven, uh, you know, that that uh, angels on the ramparts. That's not it. This the very nature of God is being taken by people who are not professionally religious. And I think that's an important insight. You know, the temple did not have a monopoly on God. And there is no single group of people who has a monopoly on God. That This is the amazing thing about the Lord. If you want him, if you really want him, he will find you. You may think you found him, but he'll find you. All right, that said, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with, uh, what are we going to come back? Oh, we're going to come back with letters. Oh, boy. And uh, you can you can call in. The phones are open at 888-914-9149. Network sponsor Time Bank can make remote account opening easy. No matter where you are in the country, they offer mobile and online banking and knowledgeable bankers that answer the phone. More information at time.bank. That's time.bank. Member FDIC. Oh, holy night. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world. 
Good King Wenceslaus was yesterday, wasn't it? What's our hymn du jour today? And the soul felt its worth. The hymn du jour today? Yeah, what's our hymn du jour? This is live, isn't it? It is live, oh, good. Yes. Hello. <laughs> I have to feel my pulse occasionally to make sure it's live. Yeah, what's the hymn du jour? Yesterday was Good King Wenceslaus. I've already forgotten and I've heard it like four <laughs> times today. Well, just go to the just go to the the website and and listen to the Christmas hymns. It's a great way to to remember it's Advent and we're getting ready for something special. So, uh, uh oh it's is it uh it's not uh, the um I think it is the uh the 12 days of Christmas sung by the Embers kids. Is that it? I think that's yes, it. that's yes. right. We we yes. are we were just talking about it before yes. the show. Yes, hundreds of pieces of livestock and leaping lords. I, I don't know which would be more difficult to to take it. Well, let's go to let's go to letters. I got I got. Well, before we go to letters, before we go to letters, I want to talk a little more about Our Lady of Guadalupe. Um, I, there's something I had forgotten, which uh, uh, Doctor Paliakis, a great chiropractor, by the way. Uh, he called and and asked me if I'd heard about it. I'd totally forgotten about it. The the stars on the cloak of Our Lady of Guadalupe can be read as music. You can go to the web and find this music uh, on the clo cloak of Our Lady of Guadalupe. It's breathtakingly beautiful. And there is a lecture by a Norbertine father that you can get on the web. And this is my classmate, Father Branken, told me about it. Um, that this is the exact position of the stars, an exact date, and an exact time of the day. And apparently, if you go a few minutes later, a few minutes earlier, it's just noise. The music is only right there at that moment in time. It's it's really breathtakingly beautiful. It's easy, easy to find on the web. So I just wanted to mention that. There's so many fascinating and really miraculous things about that event um, it, it really was a moment, uh, a very important moment uh, in in human history. All right, let's see here. Uh, where am I at? Okay, I've got uh, a, a thing here. Oh, play the letter music. Let's see here. All right. This is from Sheila in Chicago. I enjoy listening to your show. Well, thanks. And I enjoy doing it. All right. Um, uh, I, I, oh, she just, no, I'm, I'm sorry. You, you were not feeling well on the day of the show. I hope you're feeling better now. Yes. As for the loss, I am. I'm feeling fine. Uh, thanks for those who you were praying for me. There's a cold going around um, in the, our part of the world. And you get a cough for a month afterwards. I'm, I'm finally coming out of that. Well, enough with the gossip. As for the loss of attendance on Sunday Mass, there are many reasons. Here's my question. Do you think it was a mistake to close Chicago Parish churches during COVID? Do you think if the circumstance arose again that the Archdiocese would choose differently? You know, again, I am not a medical person, though I am. I do come from a long line of accomplished hypochondriacs. Um, you know... I don't know. Um, I, I, you know, viruses, as I understand them, are funny things. Uh, funny like a rash, but uh, kind of odd that, that they don't want to kill people. They want to use them. 
And when they first come out, they can be very deadly, but they modify and, and lessen their symptoms. Now, I was, the, the very month COVID came out, the, right at the beginning, I was, I was as sick as I've ever been. I was in bed for three weeks, had pneumonia, and they diagnosed me as having RSV. But there wasn't a test at that time for COVID, so I don't know. Uh, I may have had COVID, um, or it may have been RSV. I just know whatever it was, I wouldn't want it again. But then I had COVID when I was traveling. It was like a bad cold for three days. You know, I really am not competent to comment on those precautions. Um, I think that, that, that the people in the diocese who of Chicago— who, um, you know, kind of put the, the the real tight screws on, I think they were acting in good faith. Um, what is alarming, I, I think something's more alarming to me about, about that situation. We have, now that the COVID restrictions are completely lifted, we have some people coming back to church, but we probably lost half of our congregation, I mean, in, in, in Chicago. And to me, that's very significant. You know, Pope Benedict talked about the church being a smaller but more, more effective organization. And I think what happened with COVID hastened it. And I think what the Lord was saying through that is, why are you going to Mass? Are you going to Mass because of me, or is it just a habit? Is it what you do before you go out to the pancake house for breakfast on Sunday? And um, we will increasingly be put into situations where we must choose Christ. And I think those people who who uh, uh, have not returned to the Eucharist, well, they're making a decision, and it's a decision against Christ. Or at least... Um, you know, they would say, no, I still love God. Well, I'm reminded of the story that I tell all the time about an old Jewish man who was devout and did not believe in life after death or judgment. Those are optional beliefs for Judaism. You can be a perfectly good Jew without believing in the survival of death. Uh, most Orthodox Jews I know believe in the resurrection and the survival of death, but but it's, it's not required. Judaism is not a theologically dense religion. Christianity is very theological, but Judaism is really about a practice, what you do, the following of the law. At least that's the way the Orthodox look at it. Well, this man was devout, but did not believe in life after death. And a, a, a friend of his asked him, you don't believe in life after death or judgment, so why are you so scrupulous about following every detail of the law? You know, he would never eat pork, he would never do this, never do that. Why are you so scrupulous about following the law? And this old man said, because he's worth it. Because he's worthy. You know, oh, I don't want to go to Mass. I don't feel, people should go to Mass because they want to go to Mass. No, they should go to Mass because God wants them to go to Mass. I think the idea of Sunday obligation is very important. Very important. Because he's worth it. He is worthy. And if I decide, well, I don't want to go to Sunday Mass, I'll watch it on, on television with a cup of hot chocolate, my, my uh, fuzzy slippers, and my jammies. Is that all he's worth to you? Is that all he's worth? So I think the Lord can use anything, and I think he may have used 
the COVID epidemic to manifest who we really are as a church and as a community of people. And there are some people who passed the test and some people who didn't. I think that's significant. So um, um, do I think it was a mistake to close the parishes down for that time? I have no idea. But I know that, as the Spanish philosopher Unamuno said, God writes straight with crooked lines. And something more important than just was it a mistake or not is manifested through it, that we, we have had to make a decision for Christ in the Eucharist. And about half of us have, well, more than half of us, 90% of us have said, no, never mind. Seriously, I, I think that mass attendance now is 10% of those who count themselves as Catholics. In the Archdiocese of Chicago, there are 2 million Catholics and maybe, what, what is it, two 200,000 go to, go to Mass on Sunday. I'd have to look up the exact stats. It's not much different than that. And um, that's the truth. You know, I get the biggest kick out of people surveying, 9 out of 10 Catholics don't believe in this or think that. I'd be much more interested to say, not, how many, how many, what percentage of Catholics who go to church every Sunday want this or don't want that or believe this or don't believe that? That the pollster is just, you say you're Catholic, you know, you got a baptismal certificate and a heartbeat, you're Catholic. I don't think that's true. You know, if you're, if you are not going to Mass substantially, then I don't think you're count as a Catholic. I really don't. You know, oh, if you're baptized Catholic, you're Catholic. Okay, fine. But, in practical, real-life terms, a Catholic is someone who goes to the Eucharist every Sunday because he's worth it. All right. That's a minimal thing. All right. So I, I don't know if that answers the question. Where am I time-wise? Let me think. Uh, you know, so actually, so thanks for your question, Sheila. It was—by the way, there's plenty of lines open at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Let's see here. Okay, I got a letter from uh, uh, somebody who actually may be a relative, uh, uh, Joe, um, who said uh, uh, just a comment. Uh, a couple has a theory uh, uh, about the world being saved by beauty. And, you know, I think of beauty uh, is kind of the 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 sixth argument for the existence of God there. Aren't there dear voice in my head, you, you're smarter than I am about these things. There are five basic theories, aren't there, about the... That's Aquinas has the five proofs. Aquinas has the five proofs. There are the five proofs for the existence. See, I knew he'd know it. He's a smart cookie. <laughs> the, I just couldn't remember. <laughs> I just couldn't remember the song today. That's well, all. that's where we figured that out. But the five proofs of saying, this is the sixth proof. The, the argument of God from beauty Beauty doesn't do anybody any good. Well, sure it does. It's evolutionarily very... No, not necessarily. I mean beauty, beauty. Like, ooh, look at that sunset. When I admire a beautiful sunset, it doesn't improve my chances to get my genetic material out there. It doesn't make me richer. It doesn't make me uh, stronger. It just is beautiful. So where does the, the very concept of beauty come from? It comes from God, I believe. That, that this thing that delights us and enriches our life and can even make the unendurable bearable, um, 
what is it? It's a reflection of the nature of, of the divine. And so I think, yeah, the world can be saved by beauty. And I, I've shared with you many times about it was through the envy of the devil that death entered the world. The devil hates human creativity. He hates human sexuality, which exists to create new life. Uh, and, and thus, if he can ruin human sexuality, it's as if he's, he thinks he's sticking his thumb in God's eye. But there are other forms of creativity, architecture, art, music. And we live in a time of real decadence. Uh, you've heard me say that so many churches that were built in the 60s and 70s and even still look like spaceships from the planet ugly. It's not a matter of modern art or traditional art. There's some very beautiful modern art. But art that was meant to shock isn't art. It's just shock. Um, and music is in a decadent period, and we think, you know, and I don't have to point out again the My Little Pony Gloria, which I'm sure that the voice in my head will play at some point now, but, uh, you know, and, and, you know, there's just a lot of ugly out there, and the world can be saved by beauty, because beauty, the definition of prayer is it's something that lifts the heart and mind to God. Well, beauty can do the same thing. Beauty itself can lift the heart and mind to God and become prayerful. Oh, here it is! The My Little Pony Gloria. My Little Pony. Yes. My little yes. Pony. Yes, a Gloria set to music that's used to sell plastic junk to seven-year-old girls. Oh, yes. I am reminded of the story about the old Jewish man. This is unworthy of God. All right, that said, we're going to go to a break. We're going to come back with a word of the day. And uh, the phones are open at 888-914-9149. If you are in the market for health insurance, our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is here to help you and your family find the most cost-effective health plan. Learn more at relevantradio.com slash Forrester. We're calling Jesus. My rock. My rock. My rock. Mary's baby. My rock. Bleeding lamb. My rock. Yes, he's ever walking beside me and he never will to the Reverend Know-It-All Fire Baptized Gospel Hour. That's what I wanted to call it, but it wouldn't fit on the logo. At <laughs> any rate. All right, let us now go to the word of the day. Well, the word of the day, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have fun. I just going to impress all of you by reading something actually in Greek. That line, Matthew 11, the 12th chapter, uh, that, that uh, it says, you know, that, that uh, uh, from the days of John the Baptist until... Now, he basiliaton uranon biadzetai kai biastai harpazosin. Doesn't that sound? <laughs> that sounds so cool. But the words are interesting. Uh, um, from the times of John the Baptist until now, the the kingdom of God of the heavens, the kingdom of the heavens, and you know what I believe kingdom means the the royal the royalty of heavens of the heavens. And then the word is biadzitai, and then that means they translate as taken by violence. And the biastai, biastai, less uh, uh, syllable, the, and the violent harpazusin. Harpa, the word harpy comes from that word. Harpazusin means to, to, to snatch. 
You know, a harpies, the harpies were these, these birds of prey that had the faces of women, and they would descend and just grab something in their claws. Those were the harpies, the, the snatchers that snatched. So what is this word biazitai, the verb biazitai, and the, the noun or the adjective biastai, biastai, sorry, it doesn't mean what we mean quite by violence. It means, um, it means, it means forcefulness or, or, um, oh gosh, how did, how did, how did, let me, let me pull this up. Biazzo, the verb, properly means to use power to forcibly seize, laying hold of something with positive aggressiveness. Uh, Biazzo is only used twice in the New Testament, and both times it's positively. You know, back to this idea that, well, I, I sit in my comfy my comfy uh, slippers and my flannel jammies drinking hot cocoa while I watch the Mass on. That's not, that's not Biazzatai. Do you want this? Yeah, I, you know, when I was a pastor in Uptown, there were a bunch of Korean little old ladies who lived in the neighborhood. And if you opened up the church at 7.30, they would be there at 7.15. If you opened it at 7.15, they would be there at 7. If you opened it at 7, they would be there at 6.45. No matter how cold it was, and I was, I was just terrified that one of these dear little old ladies was going to freeze themselves to, to, to death, being wanting to be the first one in the church in the morning. That's That's... That's biastai. That's aggressively seizing. How how interested are you in the kingdom of God? You know, well, you know, we we obey the rules, and you know, and we we pay our temple tax, and the, you know, we the necessary sacrifices, and and then we mind our own business. That was up to the time of John the Baptist. Then John the Baptist comes along preaching fire and brimstone. And people were going out to the Jordan. They didn't have to go out to the Jordan to get baptized. They they wanted grace. Do you want grace, or do you just oh, I want to just I want fire insurance. I want to do just enough so that I don't burn in hell. That's not that's not the violent bearing it away. Those who aggressively lay hold of the kingdom of God. It isn't it isn't violence in the sense that that we're going to go out and punch Saint Peter in the in the face and say let us in. That's that's not that's kind of what you think of it as. It's, no, it's I want I want God. I want Him so much that yeah, I'm going to go someplace to find Him. I've heard God's there. I'm going, you know, that kind of thing. I want God. When you want it as much as you want that next breath of air, you'll receive it. All right, let's go to the phones. Why don't you ask me a little easy question? Will you answer it? A tiny one. Martin, you got a tiny question here. Yes, Father, uh, I'm here to cause you to grind your axe. Oh, dear. <laughs> uh, so uh, we were doing the Sermon on the Mount yesterday in our yes. Bible study. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew seven twenty-eight, it says, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Yes. For he taught them. So I know you you say that Jesus went up the mountain and brought his close disciples yes. to him. But down here at the end of it, it says the crowds. Yes. So, well, there were two sermons. Uh, there was the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain. 
Uh, we see the sermon. I think the sermon on the plane is more clearly indicated uh, in Luke. And what you see is that Jesus said the same things to his disciples, and then in a, a shorter form or a simpler form, he seems to have said them. Now, remember also that... Uh, Remember your grammar as a child. I don't mean your grammar who married your grandpa. Uh, but the, the, uh, uh, this idea of, of a continuous tense, the imperfect tense. Bible doesn't say Jesus said. The tense is Jesus used to say or was saying. He didn't say these things just once. Any preacher repeats his good sermons. Believe me, I've only got three or four decent sermons. <laughs> but but uh, you repeat these things. So it wasn't a one-time deal. But you see clearly that Jesus was not intending to speak to the crowds because he went up the mountain and sat down. If you look at the beginning, he sat down. And when a rabbi taught his disciples, he sat. The bishop will have, when he gives the exhortation at certain sacraments, especially ordination, uh, the the acolytes will bring a, a, a small kind of chair out, and they sit it down, and the bishop sits down to to preach because he's aiming this exhortation at those to be ordained, not at the crowd in church. So Jesus clearly was was in a teaching mode with his disciples, but the crowds may have found him, or this may be referring to to the same teaching which he gave later uh, uh, on the plain. Uh, but it would just have been impossible for Jesus standing on a mountain to be, or sitting on a chair <laughs> or on a rock on a mountain uh, or on a hill to be heard by a vast multitude. So, uh, and I think it's important. The reason I, I, I am kind of picky about it is I think it's important that if we're going to be a disciple of the Lord, we have to fashion our life around those words of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, I've heard someone call them the Constitution of the Kingdom of God, which I think is is appropriate. So that's that's how I would look at it. You know, um, that that the New Testament is summarizing these things, and he definitely said these same things to the crowds. But at that instance, Matthew five, he was he was talking about them in greater in greater detail. Uh, and for instance, uh, the Beatitudes are much truncated in the Gospel of Luke. Um, but he was talking to his disciples in greater detail, and he said, to you are given the mysteries, the secrets of the kingdom of God. So I don't know if that helps a little, but eh, when we get there, God willing, we both arrive, we'll ask. How's that? That sounds good, Father. All right, God <laughs> bless. Way, we got to follow him. There you go. <laughs> yep. Hey, thanks for calling in. I'm honored that you listen. Josh from northern Wisconsin. What can I do for Hello. you? Hello. Yes, I had a, a question. Um, now, I was raised uh, Protestant, mm -hmm. uh, Lutheran, and my wife was raised Catholic. Uh, we, when we got married, we decided to, um, she went underwent instruction, and we are now both Lutheran. Mm -hmm. But I guess I've seen myself as, as a Christian over, mm -hmm. at least through my last 10 years here, and uh, the the division in the church is troubling to me, and <laughs> I don't think it was ever Luther's intention to divide the church, but that's the way it went. And do you ever foresee that division coming to an end and oh dear Christians joining together in 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 the common belief of of Jesus? I think that our Father in heaven is even more disturbed than you are about it. And have you ever read the book by Corrie ten Boom, The Hiding Place? 
I'm familiar with it. It's breathtaking. It's one of the finest books I've ever read. And uh, it also was made into a movie, which is quite good. And there are some follow-up uh, books on this. And it, it's they managed, the, the, the women in Ravensbrück concentration camp managed to overcome their religious separations because they were so very desperate. And if we do not uh, at least care for each other and respect each other, I think God will arrange things in such a way that those people who, in fact, are Christians, Catholic, Protestant, and everything in between, and Orthodox, that we will need one another very desperately. I would like it to be the easy way instead of the hard way, but I don't think that looking at history, the easy way is the one that we human beings tend to choose. But God will have his way with this. Um, you know, this is kind of an arrogant thing on my part, but <laughs> may sound arrogant, but you know, we look at everybody who's baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with the with the with the use of water as being united to the church at least by the sacrament of baptism. And I think we can rely on that. And I think I think Lutherans would agree to that. Um so, you know, it's it's uh it's a difficult thing. Um you know, there's a very disingenuous ecumenism that, oh, we're really we're really believing the same thing. No, we're not. There are serious differences. But to find what we can definitely agree on and give glory to God by by our charity to one another, I think is pleasing to the Father. And if we do not, if we do not uh, at least care for one another as as fellow believers in Christ and fellow sharers of the sacrament of baptism, then the Lord will, I think, put us in a situation where we will learn to care for each other. And I hope it doesn't come to that. I don't know if that deals talks to your question or, or deals with it. So God it will does. do it. Uh, Go on. Could I just have a follow-up? Sure. With, uh, what can I do, what can we do to help bridge those gaps? Oh, gosh. What can we do to bridge the gaps? Um, you know, I have found that when you have a, a community that's not getting along— and you have meetings to discuss the issues and our problems, it gets worse. Church suppers and battle of the bands with choirs, that brings people closer than... So I, I'm, I'm not being facetious. You know, that, that uh, uh, I was in a parish where there was the liberal faction and the traditional faction, all the ethnic factions, and they would have meetings and people would storm out of the meetings angry. What we did then was we had a big procession in honor of the body of Christ. And people wore their ethnic costumes and carried banners. It did more to unite the parish than anything else. And we would have parish suppers, international dinners, and that sort of thing. You know, when you can get into a situation of singing and eating, you you see the common humanity that we share. And so uh, any anything you can do to draw people together— Outside of a discussion of theology, I think is helpful. That's just a thought. I don't know if that helps or not. You know, we'll, we'll pray together. Sometimes we can't even pray together, you know, but, but we can always share a meal and listen, and listen to the choirs. So, uh, um, and, and if we can't pray together, that's a good thing too. But we work into that deeper end of the pool a little more slowly. That would be my suggestion. God bless Josh. Okay. And Thank you're kidding. You. There are there are Lutherans in northern Wisconsin? <laughs> <laughs> and, and they tell me I can't pray with other Christians. 
Oh, oh. Well, you can. Well, you can still have. You can still eat and 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 have 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 a song fest. There you go. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. All right. God bless Josh and 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 uh, the Lord is good. Let's go to Joe from Wallington, New Jersey. God, Father Simon, man, makes me smile all the time. God bless you, Father. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> it says that the wise men came to bring gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh to somebody who they thought was a king. Yeah. So now I'm assuming, based on what happened in the Old Testament, when one king came to visit another king, 7,600 pounds of gold, 3,500 pounds of silver, 2,000 dishes, 1,000 utensils, mm-hmm. you know. What do we believe that Jesus received? And if he didn't receive some gold, he should have had a pretty easy childhood growing up in Egypt. Well, you know, the tradition is that that paid for the, I don't know, there was a lot of gold. You know, these were these were men who traveled the distance. The tradition is that it, it paid for their their movement, their, their, their escape into Egypt. There would have been officials to bribe and there would have been expenses for the journey. So, uh... Uh, that's probably where it went. But who knows uh, what they did with it. I don't think it was excessive. But speaking of not being excessive, Drew is coming up, and he never is excessive.